If you have a Bible this morning, I want you to join me where we've been studying through in the Gospel of Luke. So we're in uh, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37 will be our uh, text primarily this morning, though we'll look at some other verses along, uh, along the way. Luke chapter 10 verses 25 through 37. Uh, we're presented in these verses with a fairly familiar story to many of us. It's often called the, the Good Samaritan. And so, so what we want to do, though, is though the story's familiar, we want to be able to place it in its, in its uh, accurate c- context. Jesus tells this story at a certain time to a certain person for, uh, for, for a certain reason. Um, one of my uh, favorite movies is a 1985 cinematic masterpiece starring Sylvester Stallone, so you already know those two terms don't go together, but, but uh, called Rocky IV. I love Rocky IV. I've probably seen Rocky IV 40 times. And Rocky IV begins with this scene. It's 1985. It's sort of peak years of the Cold War, the Soviet Union against the United States of America. And, and so it begins as often will happen in uh, the 40 Rocky films that have been released. Eye of the Tiger or some other song like that's playing. And and then uh, from the black screen emerges this boxing glove. And the first boxing glove that comes up is it got the American flag on it. And and, and while the music's thumping and the scenes, another glove emerges and it's got the Soviet flag on the glove. And the music keeps building, building until these gloves face off. If you've seen the movie, then they kind of face off and then they come together in this cataclysmic collision and then they explode. And then, and then the movie begins. When we're in Luke chapter 10, we're about to look at some verses. There, there's two things that have been emerging. On one hand is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the other hand is this works-based religion of the Pharisees. They've both been emerging, and and they're going to come to a head. They're irreconcilable. They can't make peace with one another. If one's true, the other must be false. If this one's true, then that one must be. They're incompatible. And what we're going to begin to see is they're going to come to a a cataclysmic collision. It's actually going to take place in Jerusalem at the cross, and it's not going to play out particularly perhaps the way Rocky IV or other movies like that uh, are, are, are written, but they're going to come to a con- co- collision. And we get a real clear hint of that in Luke chapter 10. Now, you're in Luke 10, and, and, and I want you to see how this has been building. It's sort of like if you've ever been around a person and they start shaking up a bottle of Coke, right? They just start shaking it, shaking it. You, you kind of get back away from them because you know as soon as that bottle cap is twisted, it's going gonna, it's gonna to explode. That's what's building. There's something building in, in Luke's gospel. So, for example, in Luke chapter 5, look, verse, <clears throat> look at verse 17. We're, we're going to read up some verses because Luke, inspired of the Holy Spirit, is a pretty masterful author and writer. Uh, and, and he said at the very beginning, we've called this whole series an orderly account because that's how Luke begins the gospel. I'm going to write you an orderly account so that you might have confidence in the things that you've been taught to believe. So, so he's building up to something here, and it says, verse 17, on one of those days, chapter 5, as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law. What are they doing? We're sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him, Jesus, to heal. 
All right, so here's the scene, power of the Lord with Jesus. And these Pharisees, teachers of the law, they're sitting there, and I picture them like this. Kind of a stern look on there. They're just sitting there. They've not come to hear. They've come to observe. And it goes on to say, the scribes, verse 21, and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Because Jesus has said, man, pick up your mat. Your sins are forgiven. Now, go to chapter 6 in verse number 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now, we've preached through all these verses, so we're not going to reiterate all of them. We're just getting a, get a, kind of getting a feel for the scene. Oh, verse 6, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Verse 11, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Chapter 7. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her, the hair of her head and kissed his feet. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Chapter 9, verse 21. Jesus is not unaware of what's going on, right? In each scene, it'll say, we didn't read all the verses. In each scene, he knew, he perceived, he understood. He strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day rise again. And that brings us to chapter 10 and verse 25, our text this morning. I just want us to understand a little bit of the background is there's this building animosity that's spilling over between the Pharisees and Jesus. Because what they proclaim, what they believe, what they teach are incompatible with one another. And so finally, one of them, a lawyer, is going to stand up to, to speak to Jesus face to face. The way of Jesus and the way of the Pharisees is incompatible because according to Jesus, the Pharisees have it completely backwards. Here's their message. Do something and you'll live. Jesus's message is the opposite. Live, as we'll see from the text, and and then you'll do something. 
and still today, in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, 2014, the default setting of the fallen human heart is to think, if I do something, I'll get eternal life. If I do something, then I'll live. You ask a hundred people in Rocky Mount today, how do you get to heaven? And about 92 of them, well, I don't even know where, about 90% of them, they're going to say, be a good person, be a nice person. Keep, they wouldn't articulate it in the way the Pharisees would keep the law, but that's basically what they would say. And so we're going to see what, what Jesus says on this, on this matter right here and right now. Let's pray together that God would help us to understand these things accurately. Father, there, were a lot of, there are a lot of people who believe that we get to heaven by doing certain things, by keeping certain statutes. But it's evident from Scripture that Jesus teaches otherwise. That our, our doing comes as a result of believing So I pray that you'd give us grace. You're so patient with us, but we need help. I pray that you'd give me grace and help to proclaim your word faithfully, accurately. It'd be Christ-centered. We trust the Scripture. We believe the Scripture is inspired of the Holy Spirit and all of it's profitable. Would you make this text particularly profitable for us this morning for the reasons that you inspired it to be so? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We'll go on and read all the way to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Behold, a lawyer stood up. To put him to the test. Luke even says, behold. That's a Greek word that says, look at, uh, uh, this is kind of a shocking moment. Behold, it got everybody's attention. A lawyer stood up, notice what it says, to put him to the test. Same word from Luke 4, you shall not put the Lord your God, what? To the test. So he's got a certain disposition, this lawyer. Now, when it says lawyer, it's not quite the way that we understand the word in our day. A lawyer in this text means an expert in the law, an expert in the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This man is a, a lawyer. He's bright. He's educated. He's, uh, he, he's influential in his, in his culture. He could have quoted to you any passage from those five books. 
Now, now, now you do a little exercise with me here. You go to Genesis, go to Genesis chapter 1, and then go to the uh, last chapter of Deuteronomy. These are the first five books of the law, all right? You do that. I've got it in my hand, and Deuteronomy chapter 34 in my Bible ends on page 177. Now, this lawyer, this lawyer would have had those five books, are you ready for this? Memorized, memorized. Not I can find them quickly. You could have begun a statement and he could have finished it. In any of this, uh, any of this. Have you read Leviticus? Right? That, that's the book where all one-year Bible uh, plans go to die in some cases. Now, I'm not, I'm not uh, being offensive. Please hear me on the book of Leviticus. You know what the theme of Leviticus is? The Lord is holy. The Lord is holy. The Lord is holy. The Lord is holy. That's on page after page after page. Now, this lawyer had these five books memorized. And so he, he's an expert. Hey, my friends, do you know it's possible? Do you know it's possible to know about this book but not know the God of this book? Did you know that's possible? You know that can happen? You can know about him but not know him. This lawyer stood up. Christ is the word that he's memorized Come in the flesh. And this guy is so distorted that he comes to put Christ to the test. Now, here's a man, if, if the law were a, cap, uh, a category on jeopardy, he'd get them all right. He'd answer the question before Alex Trebek has even finished reading or give the answer. How does jeopardy work? Oh, you know what I'm saying. He, he'd have it out. He'd spit it out. If the question is, how do you summarize the law? Well, what is how to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. If he sits down to take it a final exam on the law, he'd have made an A+. Plus. But he comes with a, certain, with a certain attitude we read in verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Now, Luke uh, organizes and structures his gospel in a... In a, in a very uh, purposeful way. These scenes are not just thrown together one after another. In fact, I think what Luke's doing here is he's giving evidence to something that Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 21. All right, so look at, look at verse 21. And that same hour, he rejoiced, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father. For such was your gracious will. Let me give a paraphrase. Jesus is saying, you've hidden these things from the know-it-alls. You've hidden these things from the lawyers who would stand up face-to-face and put me to the test. And then we get them. We get an example of who Jesus is talking about. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he wanted to either test Jesus as a teacher or else ensnare him as to discredit him. We've read all the verses, right? The Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, they'd sit there and they'd, they'd fold their arms and they'd question and they'd be, get angry and they'd get hot under the collar. And after Jesus had left, they, they, they'd get together and say, what are we going to do about him? What are we going to do about him? Now, here comes somebody who's going to try to do something about him. And it's amazing. Every time Jesus confronts a, a critic or, or, or someone with an agenda like this, 
it, it never goes well for the person who thinks that they're going to challenge Jesus. But I want you to see how kind and compassionate Jesus is to this, to this man. Now, we all know what it's like, don't we, to have a, someone ask us, us, I'll get it out in a minute. We all know what it's like to have someone ask us a question when they're really saying something else. We know this, right? Every married person in the room knows what, what it's like to have someone ask you a question but really mean something else. For example, a wife might say to her husband, what are you planning for the weekend? Translation. The yard really needs some work, so don't even think about watching the football game, right? Or a wife might ask her husband, is that what you're planning to wear? Translation, go change. Here's a question that's asked on both sides in my house at this time. Do you hear the baby crying? Translation, it's your turn. Or a child to a parent. What's for dinner? Translation. Can we please order pizza? A husband to his wife. What do you want for your birthday? Translation is actually what do you want for your birthday, right? I mean, this just straight up question. <laughs> Let us know. Give us, some, give us some help, right? Wife on her birthday. Did someone help you pick this out? Translation. Please tell me this wasn't your idea, right? We all know, we all know what it's like to have someone ask us a question. In Luke 10, 21, the lawyer is not asking an honest question. It's a calculated question. He's got an agenda behind the question. And there are some certain um, significant assumptions behind the question. And so we can learn, we can actually learn something about Jesus when it comes to sharing the gospel, for example. Anytime someone asks you a question, they're actually asking you a question from a certain theological perspective. They've already got assumptions that are built into the question. Uh, For example, let's just take his question and then unpack, if we can, some of the theological assumptions behind the question that are actually false. You know what happens when you ask false questions? You get false answers. Here's this question, teacher. Now, here's assumption number one. This guy's just a teacher. This guy's just somebody to be debated with. This is somebody that I stand on an even playing field with. I'm a lawyer. He's a teacher. Let's debate. And my friends, it's a dangerous assumption that he's made, that he speaks only to a teacher. No, no, no. He's not just a teacher. He's the king of kings. He's the great I am. Those whole five books of the law that you've memorized, Jesus says they testify about me. You want to know who I am? You memorized Abraham and Isaac, didn't you? You know, that's talking about me. You memorized the Exodus event. You know who that's talking about? That's talking about me. You memorized about the temple. You know what? I am the temple. Uh, Assumption number one, he's just a teacher. Then notice the assumptions behind his question. What must... I do to inherit eternal life. Now, these are the default settings for fallen humanity. Notice this question. He assumes, number one, that it's about him, doesn't he? That's how the whole question is couched. What must I do 
The emphasis is on him. What must I perform? What rules must I keep? What, fi- what, what five pillars must, must I do? What trip must I take? Shall I go here? Shall I do this? Shall I give to this? What must I, emphasis I, and then the second word's very dangerous too. He says, what must I, what's he say? Do. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And the tragedy is, he doesn't even realize how incompatible his question is. Have you ever inherited something? What did you do to inherit it? You didn't do anything, did you? I, I received an inheritance from my father. You know how I got the inheritance from my father? By, by keeping all of his rules and commands? Actually, no. I, I was his child. And so I received an inheritance. Now, isn't this a tragedy? He understands from the law, eternal life is something to be inherited. But if you're doing something, you're not inheriting it. What's the word? Change out the verb. You're earning it. And he's confused in his own mind. What must I do to earn eternal life would have been the right way of saying it from his perspective. But he thinks, what's something I can do to inherit eternal life? The lawyer comes to Jesus, not with an honest question, but with a setup. So let's start with this. Have the humility to approach Jesus as an honest seeker, not as a critical skeptic, who's already determined the answer before the question has even been asked. Did you know that Jesus can handle your questions? He he can handle all the skeptics' questions. He can handle the atheist's questions. He can handle all of the questions. Jesus is, not, Jesus is not afraid of questions. And by the way, neither should you be. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you know his, know his word, believe the gospel, don't be afraid. Oh, let's not talk about this. Let's not go there. No, no, you, you need to be somebody increasingly in our culture who can handle skeptical questions or legalistic <laughs> religious questions, be, they, be them as they may. It's very hard to convince anyone of the truth if they're already convinced they know it. And throughout the Gospels, we've been studying through Luke, so, so you, you've probably noticed this. Jesus masterfully approaches different people in, in different ways. Have you noticed this? One of the best examples of this, by the way, is, is the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and chapter 4. In John chapter 3, Jesus encounters a man named Nicodemus. Here's how the Bible describes him. Now, Nicodemus... A teacher of the, of, of the law came to Jesus. Nicodemus, his, word, his name is even significant. Two, two Greek words make up his name, Nike and Demos, Nicodemus. Nike means victory. You got Nike tennis shoes, right? This is Nike, victory, Demos. We, we have words in English that come from this. Democracy, demographics, it means of the people. So Nicodemus, victory of the people. Yeah, I'll give you this translation. The people's champion. The best people can do. He enters a room and Jesus looks at him and says, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. How is it? All right. Let's, uh, he's going to challenge him from the get-go. John 4 is the woman at the well. And Jesus has the same message for her. But you know what? It's done in a different way. He sits down and begins a conversation with her. Give me something to drink. Kind of just a Nice, gentle conversation. He gets to the heart of the matter. Where's your husband? He talks about repentance and all those things. So um, here's a simple principle. There are two barriers to belief in the gospel. One are people who do not think they need to be saved. That's this guy in Luke 10. 
They don't think they need to be saved. And then, and then there's woman at the well, woman caught in adultery, Zacchaeus. People who do not think that they can be saved. You see, they're both wrong, but they're coming at it from different perspectives. They're like the two sons in the parable of the prodigal son. One goes a long way off, uh, wastes his life. And then the other, the older brother, you never gave me something with my friends and me, 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 me. Now, which one is this teacher of the law more like? Older brother or younger brother? If you track along with me. Like the older brother. As a matter of fact, the parable of the prodigal son, we'll, we'll study it in a few weeks, concludes, and the older brother's not reconciled to the father. It's the younger brother who is. That teaches me, in some regards, that there's two ways to, to, be, to be lost, to not be reconciled to God. One's actually tougher. One says, I don't need to be saved. What must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? The entire question is couched in the first person. Now, that's the question. Let's look at the answer. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, Jesus has asked a question. How does he respond? He responds with a question called an ad hominem uh, discussion. It's helpful. If, again, if you want to share the gospel with people, sometimes it's a, it's a healthy um, uh, way to do it. Ask a question, ask a question back. He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This guy has the right answer. Have you ever been around people like this? <laughs> they always have the right answer. You were ever in class with someone like this? Some of you were this person, weren't you? That person who did all their homework. You sit in class, you're taking the final exam. There's always that one person. Everybody's working away. And then all of a sudden they stand up from their desk and they saunter up to the teacher's desk. Got their paper. They smooth it out, place it down. And, you know, there's 50 questions on it. You're still on number 12. And they, they, they go back and they sit down, ramrod straight up in their seat. They don't say it. They don't say it. But you know they're thinking, can't believe y'all are still working on this. Right? That's how this guy is. He immediately responds. Oh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Why don't you give me a harder question, Jesus? He knows the law. He's done his homework. He's memorized the verses. He does not know anyone who can go toe-to-toe with him in a religious debate. And then you can almost see the smirk on his face when Jesus responds, You have answered correctly but here's where the smirk is removed see what jesus says do this and you will live here it is my friends (laughs) it's not know this what is it do this it's not get it right in theory on the pop quiz it's Do this in practice. It's the difference between being able to pass the chemistry exam and then to show up in the lab and really have no idea what you're supposed to 
to do. Okay, so, so let's, let's, let's get clear on what's actually going on here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Well, we won't spend a whole lot of time here, but just, just you receive what Jesus is saying. Your heart, love the Lord God with all your heart. That's the seed of your emotions. Are there things in your life you're more excited about than Jesus? Okay, question number one. Question number two, has there ever been a moment in your life where that was true? Has there ever been a moment in your life where you were more excited about, I mean, you name it, the, the football game, the fishing trip, the, the new outfit. The, this, has there ever been a time in your life where you were more excited in your heart, the seat of your emotions, than about God? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. What's the soul? The soul is the real you. Not the person that we put on display for everybody else to see. The real you. Does the real you and all of the real you love God completely? Strength, all your strength. That's your energy. That's your drive. That's your get on out and go do it. You devote all your energy and drive to, to loving God. Then your mind, it's your understanding. Do you love God with all of your understanding? What's the answer to that question? <laughs> the answer to that question is no. You don't do that. And nor do I. And do you see that's the point? Read with me. I think one of the clearest places this is explained is in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Romans 3, 20. excuse me Romans 3.20 for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes what? knowledge of sin please hear what it says and then what it doesn't say through the law comes knowledge of sin it does not say right you're reading it it does not say through the law comes salvation no no through the law comes knowledge of sin the law is like a mirror right i didn't have a mirror this morning but if you you probably got dressed this morning and you stood before a mirror at some point you know what the mirror does it just reveals what's there it doesn't dress you <laughs> you know what the the mirror reveals you need to get dressed the law doesn't save you the law reveals to you this is so important the law doesn't save you the law reveals to you that you need to be saved not how it doesn't it doesn't save you the law is designed to point to your need for a savior do you see how misguided this lawyer is this lawyer has taken the means that god has given us to show us that we need to be saved and he's made it his means of being saved the the law is like this the law says if you want to be saved you go to the coast of north carolina and you swim your way to africa you know what the Pharisees would say? Breaststroke or backstroke? No, no, you, you can't do it. You can't do it. 
know what the Pharisees would say? I got out further than you did. The whole point of the law, <laughs> the whole point of the law is to show you knowledge of sin. You've sinned, you fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. In order to know the good news, we got to first get the bad news. And this lawyer is trying to skip over. You notice what Jesus said. He's true. He's right. You do this and you will live. What, what's he doing? You say, that doesn't sound like the gospel. You know what he's after in this lawyer is something that's not present. You know what it's called? A little bit of humility. A little bit of understanding here. That, that in, in the lawyer's mind, he's up here. Jesus is saying, no, no, you, you need to bring down here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn over their own sin. I think it's what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 5. They shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. The point of the law is nobody abides by it. Nobody ever has. Nobody can. It's just like if you go on I-95, you're going to see something called a speed limit sign. And it's going to post there, and it's going to say, I think, in most places, until, you know, you've got to be careful because it changes, 70 miles an hour. Now, as you're riding along and you see the 70 mile an hour sign, does the sign affect your car? Well, not directly. It's not like you ride and, you know, you drop to 70 miles an hour. All it tells you is what speed you should be going. Now, if we're going to apply it this way, the law says go 70 miles an hour. Nobody's going 70. I mean, some some maybe are going 20 or some are just going to 100. Nobody's. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. You know why this man, why this man comes to test Jesus? Because he doesn't think he needs to be saved. You've answered correctly. Do this and live oh man but look at his personality but he desiring to justify himself see he's not he's not humble he still wants to win the argument you ever been in an argument with someone and they don't even really care what they're arguing about they just want to win the argument that's how this guy is and yet what they're arguing over what they're discussing is eternal life this is not an argument you want to get wrong. Well, we're, we're going to save his follow-up question till next Sunday. But I want you to see something here. Jesus, verse 28, said to him, you, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now again, using the full revelation of Scripture, what Jesus is getting at is you don't do this. <laughs> you don't do this. We, we know that from the way that he's going to tell this, tell this story. We'll get into all the details of the parable of the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan next week. The whole point, Mr. Lawyer, Mr. Stand-Up, Mr. Wise and Understanding, Mr. I've got my five books of the law memorized. The whole point is you know it, but you don't do it. And this is all through the Gospels. I've not come to abolish the law, Jesus said. I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Therefore, whoever relaxes the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does it and teaches others to do the same will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This lawyer wanted to teach everybody what they should be doing when he himself wasn't doing it. That's a dangerous situation, isn't it? To teach everybody what they should do when you yourselves don't do it. You're a whitewashed tomb. Jesus is going to say that ultimately to the, to the Pharisees. 
But this brings up an interesting question because, because Jesus is saying, if, if you do this, if you abide by this law perfectly, if you actually love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, if you do this, you will live. Did anybody ever do this? Did anybody ever keep the law perfectly? Did anybody ever, every day of their life on the earth, did anybody ever keep the law to, that never relaxed at least to these commands, did it perfectly? The answer to that question is actually, yes, Jesus did. Did he live? Did he live? He's going to go to Jerusalem. And he's not going to live, is he? He's already said this. The scribes and the elders and the teachers of the law are going to reject me. And then the Son of Man will be, remember Luke, killed. How? My friends, this is, this is the gospel. The law keeper gave his life so that the law breakers could live. It's the gospel. Jesus keeps the law, but he dies. We don't keep the law. But we get to live. How can these things be amazing grace how sweet the sound to save a wretch like me right this G- jesus is uh, go with me we're in luke G- go over here to luke chapter 9 and uh in verse 51 when the days drew near for him to be taken up he set his face to go to jerusalem It's rising up, the gospel of grace, rising up. Oh, legalistic, legalistic, legalism. Pretty redundant, isn't it? Legalistic legalism. I'm a real wordsmith, aren't I? But it's, it's rising up, and they're about to collide. But do you know who's going to take the brunt of the punishment? It's, it's going to be Christ. They're going to nail him to a cross, a perfect law keeper, never broken any of the law. They're going to nail him to a cross. He's going to bear the wrath of God. God has wrath against his law being broken. These aren't just little helpful life principles. He said, no, he said, this is my law. You don't have to break my law. Christ doesn't break the law, but he receives the punishment as as if he had broken the law. You back to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Let's read a couple more verses before we, before we close. I want, I want us to see it. For by works of the law, verse 20, no human being will be justified in his sight. Everybody who goes around saying, well, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. I'm not such bad as... No, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Don't you see? You're not a good person. <laughs> Does that offend you? I'm not a good person. There's none righteous. No, not one. But now, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's a, Oh, that God would give us grace to see how transformative we went 
in two verses. Not justified, verse 20, to verse 21, or excuse me, verse 22. All who believe, justified. There's no distinction, verse 23, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Build your life on verse 24 and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of whom? The one who has works? No, no, no. The one who has faith in Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, now, let's get a full Bible teaching. You got faith, you're going to have works. But you got, you got eternity. I'm not exaggerating here. Eternity hangs in the balance of us getting this order correctly. Faith leads to works. Works come after saving faith. But they do come right? They will come. Amen? The seed's got to be planted before you're going to expect any fruit. That's why it's such... Now, um, do you know who wrote Romans 3, by the way? A former lawyer. A former lawyer who knew it backwards and forwards, but until he saw Christ clearly, he didn't know what he didn't know. The Apostle Paul wrote Romans and there was a time in his life he'd have been just like the lawyer in Luke 10. But Paul learned, you know what? <laughs> the good question, a good question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Let me give you a better question. Instead of teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's a better question. Savior, what did you do that we might inherit eternal life. And then Jesus goes on to teach a story about a man who was in great need and had a friend, a Samaritan friend, come along and help him and do for him what he could not do for himself. And I want you to see, friends, that's exactly what Christ has done for, for us. He provided for us what we could never provide for our, ourselves. Right question uh, words a little iffy. <laughs> Unexpected answer. Would you stand with me? We'll pray together. The lawyer and the Pharisees proclaimed, if you keep the law, you will live. Jesus said, no, you haven't ever kept the law a day in your life. Jesus proclaims, believe in me and you'll live and then you'll be able to keep the law. Because the Holy Spirit of the living God is going to dwell in you. Are you trusting in Christ's perfect keeping of the law? His death, his burial, his resurrection for your righteousness? Or are you trusting in your own ability to do something to attain eternal life? Let's pray together. Father, we recognize from your word. We've opened up your, your scripture, Father. We've opened up the Word of God. We've read for ourselves. You've so blessed us that we could read it in a language that we can understand. We've seen it for ourselves. That by works of the law, no one will be justified in your sight. For it's through the law that comes the knowledge of sin. 
And with the knowledge of sin comes the awareness that we need a Savior. We give you glory and praise and honor that that you've not left us just realizing we need to be saved. You've provided for us a Savior. His name's Jesus. He did not come just to have theological debates. He came to go to Jerusalem to be crucified. One who kept the law perfectly died willingly to offer his life a ransom for all the lawbreakers. Oh, Father, would you guard us from the legalistic, selfish, self-righteousness of the lawyer who had all the answers but didn't know anything ultimately. Father, lead our time of invitation. I pray that you'd cultivate in us deep humility. We understand that we've been reconciled not by the basis of what we've done, but by believing what Christ has done on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen.